lovely notes of Giuseppe Verdi. Meantime, for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast on Calcio at the highest level, told like it is. Frank Crivello here. Glad you've clicked on and gotten stuck in with us. With me, always as always, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing this Sunday? Um, it's it's doing doing all right this Sunday. Um, you know what? Uh, we have. Um, Inter and Napoli is usually a marquee thing that we want to talk about at the top of things. Juventus with their Champions League triumph, Milan with their struggles in the Europa League. These are all topics that we are going to talk to talk about later on in the podcast. But um, uh, obvious and appropriate, uh, remembering Davide Astori should be first and foremost uh, here in our podcast. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, we are very fortunate uh, that. Um, uh, Chloe Beresford is giving us uh, some time to talk about this. She is a Serie A writer and editor for The Sportsman, uh, featured in Mundial Magazine and uh, Guardian Sport, uh, and uh, a, a lifelong Fiorentina fan. Uh, ciao, Chloe. Uh, great to have you back. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, we wish your uh, second cap with the Serie A sit-down would be under, uh, under better circumstances. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know... Clearly, uh, you know, clearly uh, something here that, that cannot be ignored. Um, you know, Davide Astori, I'm sure everybody knows by now, uh, it passed away uh, last weekend, um, presumably overnight in his sleep uh, at their team hotel prior to Fiorentina having to play Udinese. Uh, subsequently, uh, all the Serie A matches that Sunday uh, were canceled. Um, you know, Chloe, I'm going to just start with you with uh, with this first question. You put together an excellent piece in the Sportsman. A lot, you guys got to follow Chloe and you got to check out her work. It's really good. Um, Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, but um, uh, just uh, give the listeners as a as a Fiorentina supporter just your reactions. You know, kind of the emotions that you uh, that you went through, and you know, and just kind of, you know, I mean, and, and, and is your head around this yet? No, I don't. I'm not sure that it will be for a while. You, you know, you you think after a week you've kind of got used to it, and then something, you know, will happen, and you you think, you know, when the lineups come out today, you you think, oh, yeah, he's not there. You know, it's it. You think you've you've conquered it, and but it's it's still it's still quite fresh. I think, um, you know, when last Sunday. Just it was just a normal Sunday. We, I was just waiting for the game as normal, and um, my partner just said, "There's some there's something on the internet that says Davide Astori has died," and I was just like, "No, you know, sometimes on the internet there's these wild, crazy rumours that some celebrity has died in a plane crash, and it's not true." And I thought it. It must be something like that. So I went on Twitter on myself and and I was I just stunned. I, no, it's really true. He has. And I just broke down in tears because I just couldn't, I just, I just could not take it in. Why, why had this happened? How had he died? You know, it was, he was only 31 years old and a healthy and fit athlete. And you just... Never in your wildest dreams would you expect something like that to happen. 
and I think you know your your thoughts immediately go to you, your mind just races. You think about you know I thought about my friends in Florence. I thought about um, the team, the manager, how you know how everybody must have been feeling, and it was just such a shock. You know, just you know how 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 do you deal with something like that? The captain of your team is just suddenly there one minute and gone the next. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's tough. I mean, for sure. I mean, it, it's tough for Serie A fans in general, even more so for Fiorentina fans like you, uh, who get who experience this guy day in and day out. Uh, mm-hmm. For some of us who don't know uh, who Captain Astori is, uh, tell us a little bit about him. Uh, like, what kind of person he was, not only with the team but in the community there in in Florence. I think um, because he was um, a quiet and quite unassuming man. I think, in a way, a lot of people have learned more about him since he died, which is is kind of sad. But um, I suppose that's that's just what happens. Um, he took over as captain uh, last summer. Um, it was a very difficult transition after Gonzalo Rodriguez left the club. Uh, well, he was really forced out of the club, and the fans were very upset about that. Um, and he he came in and he didn't. He did the job quietly. He didn't sort of announce his arrival. Look, I'm here. I'm the new captain. He was humble and quiet about it. And I think um, a statement from the Cliver Fiesle was quite telling that although he was quiet, he wasn't a timid man. Um, they they said that um, after the loss, uh, they lost 4-1 to Verona at home and there were protests. And they called the, the team over to the fans during that match. And they the Curva Fiesle said that he looked each person in the eye and they he addressed their concerns. He didn't shy away. So I think um, the image that I have of Davide's story is that he was um, he was quiet, but he was proud and he was brave and he was exactly what you would want from a captain um and i think the the things that the other players have said um totally back that up that he looked after the younger players but um i can't remember who it was that said but um somebody said that he would give the older ones a roasting when necessary um so he was um he was just an ideal captain and i think he was loved by everybody he met because he was genuine and and sincere and i think you can see that in a lot of his former teammates from other clubs that they're so upset by this loss because he touched everybody he met i you know i i like a lot of the things you said there chloe and and when i mean i i found out from i found out from richard richard said there's no games today because of because of what happened and and you know you who are very you know close to Fiorentina as a fan knowing a lot of having a lot of friends in Florence uh you know for myself uh, being just a a fan of Italian football uh you know and being a fan of another club uh, being a fan of the Italian national team yeah and you know knowing of Davide Astori you know my thoughts you know beside you know you know the, the the family he's leaving behind the, the 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 you know the teammates and coaches he's surviving my thoughts are you know reflecting on what a professional he was mm-hmm. um you know and he 
he accepted the captaincy, like you said, with dignity. And it, it seems like whatever role he had throughout his career, um, he just, he, he embraced it uh, and he accepted it. And he, and he did it with a humility that is so refreshing. Um, I wish my, my six-year-old son could watch him play a little more. Um, yeah. You know, that's how much I think of him. Uh, when he was in the Italian national team, he's always getting the call-ups, but he knew his place. There was Barzali, Bonucci, and Chiellini, and they were getting the top billing. And what was the story doing? He was training with them. He was alongside them. Never made a stink of, when am I going to get my chance? When am I going to get my international caps? Uh, in training, I think uh, Leonardo Bonucci made the, you know, you know, reflected on some things that he remembered uh, from his time with Astori in the national team. And when you think of all of the places that Astori has been, he's in, in the youth team at Milan, played at Cagliari, played at Roma, played at Fiorentina. That's a lot of friends, coaches, colleagues, a lot of people that he impacted uh, along the way. So, um, Lega Serie A was absolutely right to cancel the games on Sunday because that's a lot of people that when they got the news, they just didn't, no one wanted to play. And that's just, you know, the kind of person uh, a story was, uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind uh, touching on some of that a little bit. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, uh, what you were saying about the national team, that he just accepted his role um, and just got on with it. I think that he um, he always tried his best, but there, there was a, an element of, while he is a very, very good defender, he, he wasn't the best defender. He wasn't the greatest. He was, you know, probably playing at a club like Fiorentina was his his level and he probably found the right club for him, which is, you know, um, the club confirmed that he was due to sign a contract effectively for the rest of his career, um, which unfortunately didn't happen. Um, and I think, yeah, he, he was, um, he just went about his job. He, like you say, he didn't demand more playing time with the national team or thought he was better than he was. He's just very level-headed and down-to-earth kind of guy. And, you know, from all accounts, he was it was great with the youngsters, you know, like little the little children. And um, it's just so sad when you think of his of his little daughter and you see yeah. images of, yeah. um, you know, uh, his his dad was wearing his captain's armband on his wrist at the funeral. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just such a tragic loss, really. Um, for you know, you you follow Fiorentina obviously gaming and game out as a fan. Um, for those of, for those of them uh, the fans who don't get to see uh, Fiorentina's watch as as much every week, uh, what kind of season was a story having up to this point? Was it a good season, a bad season, an average season? I actually think um, he done a lot better this season. I think you could see him growing in stature because of the captaincy and because I think he felt settled in in Florence and at Fiorentina. Um, he'd found his place and um, he'd really taken on the role with immense professionalism and, you know, the sort of the mistakes um, and, you know, being slightly error prone that he was before, he'd cut a lot of that out of his game and, and he was starting to look better and better. Um, he'd forged a good partnership with the new defender, German Pat Seller. Um, and, you know, I think you could see on his face in particular today that he was 
crush not to have him by his side. It must be very, very strange for him to not have his central defensive partner there anymore. Um, uh, and yeah, I think I think he he had really genuinely improved as a player just recently. Um, we're going to get into uh, the, we're going to recap the what went on at the Artemio Franchi here. Uh, but before we do that, Chloe, your uh, your favorite lasting impression of Davide Astori? Um, I think I think when when Milan Badelli said at the funeral um, that he was the last the last one um, sorry the first one to turn on the light in the um, in the changing rooms. Uh, and that his his light would shine forever. I think his the light in his eyes and the kindness in his eyes um, is something that will stick with me forever. Just like just like what his teammates said, um, and uh, uh, yeah, just his 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 overall kindness and uplifting, positive demeanor. Really, I just think we all we could all take some of that positivity and that kindness and carry it forward. And I think, you know, that is a really inspiring thing that I will, I will take from him. And is that, is that how using that, do you think that's how Fiorentina and Firenze are really going to recover from this in the long run? Yeah, I think, I think that's, um, everybody will, I think knowing, knowing people in Florence, I think what they will do is they will, they will take this tragic event while while it has caused great sadness, and I think they will try and make something positive out of it. And we have seen that the fans um, have been more unified since since it happened. They they applauded the Juventus team at the funeral, which is absolutely unheard of because of the rivalry. Um, they applauded the owners, who they've had a lot, very long standing rift with. Uh, today at the stadium and I think I think they will take this event and and take the sample of of Davide and go forward and try and make something good from it it's a shame that it takes a tragedy sometimes to uh get bitter rivals and enemies or people that you have spats with to put down their swords yeah um, yeah but uh but um but nonetheless uh you know it, Davide Astori, very much remembered, was uh, paid tribute to throughout the weekend um, uh, in in Serie A throughout the weekend here uh, in match week 28. And uh, most obvious and most notably at the Artemio Franchi where Fiorentina uh, hosted Benevento. Um, Table position, all of this other stuff just pales in importance to the events. Uh, that took place on the pitch. Excellent tributes, uh, just about everywhere you look. You, you know, y- y- you felt the story's presence. I mean, if you just went to social media as the game was going on, there were just wonderful images. I think somebody did some sort of drawing of a story in heaven with the number thirteen looking down on the Artemio Frankie as the game is going on, uh, which I thought was really cool. Uh, just among many other things, um, you know. So uh, the, the game kicked off. Uh, and, uh, you know, play was going back and forth. And then in the uh, 13th minute, uh, the ball was kicked out of play for a uh, you know, minute plus long uh, 
tribute. They just put the ball out of play and just took the time uh, to um, to honor WDS Story. A lot of applause. Uh, the uh, one of the ends of the the stadium. Help me with that, Chloe. Is that the uh, that it was that the ultra section of the stadium with the yeah? It the was the Kovel Fiesole that bit. The Fiesole. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the choreography. Um, yep, was uh, was outstanding and just altogether very very tasteful. Um, you know, uh, you know, a tribute in the thirteenth minute was expected. We got it, um, and uh, very well done. And uh, just twelve minutes later, uh, a moment. Uh, I mean, that uh, poetic doesn't even begin to describe it. Fiorentina. <laughs> I, I just I couldn't believe what I was seeing to be honest you know um, before that we'd seen that um, Giovanni Simeone was absolutely desperate to be the one to score the goal he was every time he just missed narrowly he was banging he was everywhere. the floor he was everywhere yeah he he wanted to be that guy who who scored and made the tribute but um, up popped uh, Vittor Hugo who was the guy that came in to replace Davide Astori in the team and um it was And the it, three and, and number thirty one, thirteen in reverse. I mean yeah. and it you can't, was you can't make it up. It <laughs> was, then he saluted him afterwards. It was um yeah, that was just fantastic as well. Um it was exactly I've read afterwards, it was exactly thirteen hundred in Italian time when he scored the goal, which was wow. bizarre. And another another strange thing that happened was when they stopped for the silence, um, just coming to the end of the silence, um, in the 13th minute, just as that was coming to the end, it started to rain. And I saw Badelli point up to the sky and look up as if to say, look, yeah, <laughs> it's a sign, that. you know. And it was just mm-hmm. everything about it was just so strange, you know. The the silence at the beginning was I've never heard it so quiet at football match ever. You, you could hear them shaking hands at the in the in the, in the yeah. before the coin toss. It's so odd. I'd never heard that. Before. Yeah, no, no. It was just so so surreal. The whole thing it was like like the actual playing of the football was secondary to everything else. Mm. The match would end by a goal to nil uh, for Fiorentina. I mean, uh, uh, you you've adopted uh, Florence as your Italian city. I'm sure, Chloe, and uh, you you could not have been prouder to be a Florentine today. Oh, absolutely not! Absolutely, it was. You know, um, it. I think as fans, they they lead with their hearts. It's everything is 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 heartfelt and. You know they are a uh, very sort of warm and loving people, and I think it it just it just really showed that if it if it was going to happen to anyone that you just knew they would do a good job of making a tribute to to their captain that had passed away and um you know I'm proud of the players because you could see at the end they were just exhausted and all so emotional from the effort and you think you know seven days ago they were preparing for a normal away game everything is in a routine our story was normally the first one to come down for breakfast and he wasn't there and then that's when they discovered that he sadly died and then 
just a week later after having their game cancelled they they'd been and, and done a, a tribute outside the stadium and put where yeah. all the scarves were they'd been to his funeral they are then back on the pitch and a week is not a long time when you're grieving for somebody and they've done all their grieving in public and you think they just did they just did so so well to, to manage that 90 minutes Indeed. Um, just a, a fantastic day. You know, I mean, a fantastic day for Florence as a city and, 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 and yeah. how they showed themselves as a people um, and uh, throughout this process. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, certainly uh, we appreciate you. I know you're very busy. You've been very busy throughout the week. Yeah. Um, so we appreciate you giving us uh, just this little bit of time to have a chance to reflect oh, on no Davide Astori. Uh, talk about what you saw at the Artemio Franchi today. Uh, you know, I mean, while we're at it, uh, I, I, I'm not good at segues, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor at least to uh, share anything else that you're up to. Um, you can find me on thesportsman.com. You can um, you can. You look at my Twitter at Chloe J Beresford, and you can find me on Facebook using the same name. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's me. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, keep up the great work. We uh, we appreciate the time, Chloe. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you uh, for uh, for joining us here on the Celia Sit Down and uh, uh, remembering uh, Davide Astori. Thanks very much. Well, Richard, uh, difficult to talk about uh, any of the uh, activity that took place on the pitch after that, right? Yeah, it's going to be tough, but uh, we're going to we'll have to try to find a way to do it. Yeah, we're going to, and I think what we'll do is we'll flip the script this week. And I think that uh, given the activity uh, with uh, Italian teams on the continent, I think that uh, some news regarding them are uh, going to have a little more weight over what took place over the weekend in Match Week 28. Uh, certainly some excellent tributes uh, you know, throughout the weekend from uh, each of the 10 contests uh, in Salute to Davide Astori. Uh, but we want to just backtrack a few days before that and discuss what took place uh, in uh, European football, uh, most notably in the Champions League uh, round of 16 second leg at Wembley Stadium uh, back on Wednesday the 7th. Uh, Tottenham hosting Juventus. It was 2-2 uh, heading into the second leg. Uh, Tottenham with the advantage of those two away goals going in. Uh, Juventus, uh, it was pretty clear they needed to win, uh, and it did not get off, get up to the proper start for them. Uh, Tottenham uh, put a good bit of pressure on the old lady here in the first half, and it culminated with a goal from Hyungmin Son in the 39th minute, and that would put Tottenham ahead uh, 1-0 and 3-2 on aggregate. Richard, um, I still wasn't terribly worried about Juventus at this point. I still felt like plenty of time if they could get this sorted, they they have it in them to turn this around and win. Were you how concerned were you after the Sun goal? Uh, I wasn't terribly concerned because I kind of figured that Tottenham would score at some point. Uh, but for me, the key was how would how would Juventus react once the goal gets scored? Um, if they uh, if they they cower basically and, and let let Tottenham keep continue to attack. 
uh, they're probably going to lose the match. Uh, however, if they if they find some way to get a goal or get a goal or two or whatever, um, they're going to be right back into this. And uh, we we really saw what happened. Uh, which which of the two which of the two uh, storylines really came through in this one? Well, if you had asked uh, if you had asked uh, Italian football Twitter or Juventus Twitter, you know some of the banter uh, accounts out there, they would have said, "Okay, Kadira needs to not." Uh, he needs to be on the next bus out of London uh, during halftime. Uh, but, yeah, they were uh, done with him. Yeah, uh, Allegri uh, completely skewed the other direction uh, and brought off Matuidi. Um, also, uh, I believe, brought off uh, De Cilio, Brought on uh, Stefan Licksteiner and Quadro Asamoa and went to a 4-2-3-1 where Alexandro would be pushed up and Kadira remained in the game. Uh, this switch and this shift in formation paid off. Uh, an equalizer would come as Licksteiner played across into the penalty area, headed uh, by uh, everybody's village idiot, Kadira, uh, in the direction of Gonzalo Higuain for the equalizer to make it 1-1. Um, you had to think that with that goal, that was where the momentum was shifting. And uh, just three minutes later, uh, uh, a mask broke out in London. Uh, Iguain playing through Paulo Dybala, who was 1v1 with Hugo Lloris, calmly uh, finishing past uh, the French number one and putting Juventus 2-1 up uh, on the night, 4-3 or four, three up on aggregate. Uh, and from then, uh, it was uh, the Sammy Kadira, Giorgio Chiellini, and Andrea Barzali show, Richard. They just threw their bodies at every shot Tottenham took. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was really... Uh especially for all three of them actually because uh they're all fairly getting up there in age uh, they all had like flashbacks of their younger days uh chiellini was this outstanding uh that one slide tackle he made towards the end when a, uh, a cross came into harry kane and he cleared it up and you see buffon with the reaction and how excited he was for that Berzali was uh, awesome down at the end had a goal line clearance uh right before the buzzer and kadira like i said again vintage vintage uh kadira there uh it made, he made everyone who, uh, who was hating him um, swallow their words because uh, he was excellent down the stretch. And Massimiliano Allegri was kind of perfect when they showed him going down into the dressing room with the lighting. I mean, it was just entirely perfect, like he was riding off into the sunset uh, after this game. Uh, all he needed was a microphone to drop. <laughs> um, you know, it was pretty much it. He knew exactly what to do. He had the tactics. He had the adjustments. And he basically just made everyone... Uh, all of the banter accounts and Juve Twitter and and and, and you and I uh, look really stupid <laughs> for keeping keeping the faith in Kadira, who you know went from village idiot to village mayor just in that space of time from those substitutions to the rest of the game, uh, and then uh, you know Giorgio Chiellini, uh, you know people and you know what what whatever you think of Juventus, enjoy Chiellini. Well, he's still playing because he is the last of a uh, of an era of of just you know the hard nosed defender that just sacrifices his body for everything. Um, it's uh, it's so fun to watch, um, I, you know. And you could almost even argue that Chiellini might have been man of the match here. Yeah, uh, Chiellini certainly uh, was worthy of that honor. Um, Brazali is probably up there as well. Uh, but Chiellini, like I said, he he was just magical at, at the end of the game and, and really throughout the throughout both legs. Uh, he's he's such a a talent that Juventus have had for such a long time, and people uh, take him for granted really. So you know when he's gone, it's gonna he's he'll definitely be missed. I know they got Rugani, they got Benatia, and stuff like that. But uh, Chiellini, like you said, he's a uh, 
he's the old vintage kind of defender uh, who will be surely be missed because they won't be, there won't be many uh, who play like him again unless they uh, em- try to emulate him. Indeed, indeed, and uh, so let's look ahead for Juventus, and let me ask you this question because uh, um, you know as of this recording, they've gone through Manchester City's gone through Liverpool uh, and Real Madrid, and um, when you look at the following week, and we'll talk about the Roma Shakhtar game here right after this. But I think Roma are going to reverse that deficit against Shakhtar and go through. Uh, I like Barcelona to eliminate Chelsea. Uh, Bayern easily in front of uh, Besiktas right now. Uh, and then you've got Manchester United at home against Sevilla, where it's nil-nil on aggregate right now. And you pretty much have to expect United at Old Trafford uh, to hold serve there. Um, so give me the team that Juventus probably doesn't want to see in the quarterfinals and give me a team that Juventus might be happy to see. Uh, well, to start with a team that they would not like to see, I'd probably lean towards Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Um, mm-hmm. Just the tactician that he is. Yes, Allegri is also a tactician, but that team is they're firing on all cylinders right now. They just seem like world beaters at the moment. Uh, and there's nothing that tells me that they're not going to be uh, world beaters from here on out. So uh, that's a team I wouldn't want to face just because they have so much to offer. Possession, uh, counterattacking speed. I mean, the way De Bruyne and Cunaguero are playing and I mean, really their whole team. Um, it's something that I'd be scared to play right now, just how good they are. Now, a couple of months down the line, they may not be as strong. So maybe that's a good time later. But as of right now, I, as a team, I don't want to face. And on the flip side, who who would I think uh, Juventus would be not not scared to to play? I mean, obviously Roma's one that you could say because they they have the Syria experience with them. Um, they faced them numerous times, so they'd be very comfortable with them. Not to say that it would be easy, but not by any stretch. But uh, they'd be very familiar with them. Um, I'm going to say Manchester United uh, just because it's the way they play. I think Juve would be comfortable the way Mourinho plays. Uh, you know, drops back and you know. Puts the parks the bus in front of the goal, if you will. Um, that would give Juventus more opportunity to try to go and score. They'd be comfortable in defense and uh, you know any kind of counterattack because they're used to that kind of style. Uh, they've seen that kind of uh, play in Serie A. Yes, it's not Mourinho they're facing, but um, they're very familiar and very capable of shutting down that kind of uh, attack that Man United have. So um, yeah, the two teams are going to go with the two Manchester teams. I would want to play City. I would want to play United. Okay, and I, I can see, well, City, first of all, they've been phenomenal this season. Um, you know, and then uh, to your point about United, I mean, they're, they're, they're equally cagey, you know, and would get in that kind of dogfight with Juventus where it would just take an odd goal to go through uh, from the quarterfinals. So I can, you know, I can easily agree with you there on that. But how about this for a hot take uh, as far as a team that Juventus would be happy to see? Real Madrid. Um, and I get that they're the two-time defending Champions League winners here but I don't I still don't think this is the same Real Madrid of these last couple of seasons and you know Zidane came up with a masterclass uh from a tactical approach to see off Paris Saint-Germain in the se- in the second leg in France but there's also a Paris Saint-Germain that was out w- without Neymar um who's obviously out you know with the extended injury you know so when you and when you look at the 180 minutes against Paris Saint-Germain yeah it was impressive they they scored five goals in that you know, over those two legs but you know when we sum all this up at the end of the season are we we're going to look at Paris Saint-Germain as, as a team that dominated Ligue 1 but what were they really after that um you know they demolished a Bayern Munich that didn't want to play for Carlo Ancelotti anymore 
Um, but then in the return game in Munich, Bayern took care of business in that game. PSG really had nothing to play for, but it's noteworthy, uh, you know, that Bayern won that game under Heinkes. Um, so, and the, the struggles are real right now in La Liga for Real Madrid, holding on right now for, you know, for a top four spot and, and, and being able to be back in this competition next season. Um, obviously this competition might be looked at as last chance saloon as far as a trophy for Real Madrid. So there's some added pressure there. And I just think the revenge factor, I think that Juve would love to give a better account of themselves, uh, than they did in the final last year in Cardiff against Real Madrid. Um, and we know about the halftime controversy, uh, what went on in the Juventus dressing room or what was reported, you know, what was true, you know, you know, only people like Dybala and Bonucci and Dani Alves know that. Um, but, um, you know, what really happened, the rest of us are all just speculating. Um, and Mandzukic obviously gave a take on it too. And that created a distraction for the second half. But, you know, I think that this is a team that's really starting to click together and they would like to give Real Madrid a different account of what they gave in Cardiff. What do you think of Real Madrid as a possible quarterfinal opponent? Uh, it would certainly be a tasty affair, no doubt about that. Um, I'm not so sure. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. It makes sense what you're saying. Uh, just personally me, I wouldn't want to face the reigning champions, two-time champions. I would think that they would... Uh, at least Cristiano Ronaldo would want to make history and be the only team to win three times in a row because it hasn't been done. Uh, them in Milan and 89-90 team, you know, repeated uh, European champions. Uh, so I could see that. I, I just I wouldn't want to face them as as struggles as much struggles as they had in uh, La Liga. I think they're still very capable in in Champions League. So for for me at least, I wouldn't want to face them. But I can see where they can be had. They're not playing their best right now. Uh, so you'd rather face them now than later on when they get their swagger back, if they get it back. Uh, so definitely uh, it, to now is a more opportune time to play them uh, for sure. And and to note the, the Real Madrid three-peat, it's like just the actual Champions League era of the last 25 to 30 years. Because the European, the old European right, yeah. Cup, the old European Cup, I know Real Madrid won like, what, the first five of them? Yeah, um, yeah. Or something like that. Something back when Back when nobody knew how to play <laughs> except them. Um and then uh, Ajax, I think, uh, you know, won three in a row in the early 70s, and then Bayern won three in a row right after that. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, definitely agree that that's something that, that Real Madrid's going to be motivated to do. Um, you know, in, in an era where there are so many good teams and so many good players, it would be a really impressive accomplishment if they can pull it off. So, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting thing to speculate as we get closer to the draw. I'd be, you know, I, I can't wait to see uh, who, who Juventus draw. Um, in the second leg, uh, th- and then this week we have leg two for Roma and Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Shakhtar winning the first game 2-1, so they lead 2-1 on aggregate. Uh, Roma opened the, opened the scoring through Chenji Zunder, as we mentioned. Uh, and then Ferreira and Fred uh, getting the goals for the Ukrainian side. Um, uh, naturalized Ukrainians, aren't they, Ferreira and Fred? I'm pretty sure of it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> Especially if they so, win this leg. Just like Chenji's, just like Chenji Zunder is Roman. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I have a lot of confidence in Roma. Uh, we're going to talk about their win over Torino here. We're going to talk, you know, they obviously uh, went on the road and beat Napoli 4-2. And I think, you know, some of the other impressive wins and how they've been playing overall, um, I think the defeated home to Milan is looking more and more like a fluke. It was a, all right, hangover coming back from the Ukraine and having to play a very hot team. Um, you know, bad situation, perfect storm for Roma to lose a game at home to a team like Milan. 
I, I really like their chances here against Shakhtar, the way they're playing. Aiden Dzeko is going to get a full 90 uh, after sitting out the Torino game through suspension. Fazio also sat out. They're inserted back in. Perotti was not used in the Torino game. He'll be in the mix. Uh, so there's going to be some fresh bodies coming into this. And uh, I think that there's something that maybe Eusebio de Francesco doesn't have to prove it as a manager just yet, but this crop of players have something to prove to that they can overcome a, a deficit in Europe and turn it around and get to the next round. I really like Roma uh, in the Champions League, and I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna win comfortably. I think they're gonna run out winning three one uh, and close this out four three on aggregate. How do you feel about the game? Yeah, well, that's and I I'm actually with you there. Uh, like you said, it, that that game against Milan does seem like a blip on the radar now, and they're back to uh, full swing right now, and just in time for Champions League. Uh, like I said, big win against Napoli a couple weeks ago. Uh, big week, big win this weekend. Um, so they're it seem like they're back in their confidence, and you know Roma are lucky that they're playing a Shakhtar team, a team. A team that Roma doesn't do well. We heard Solano and, and others mention this before. Um, they, Roma don't do well against teams that drop back and, and defend because then they seem to have they run out of ideas. They like the teams that attack them because then they can open up and attack as well. Shakhtar have, as John Solano said last week, they're not capable of defending. They're a very uh, open attacking team, and that plays right into what um, Roma will, will love to see. And it's going to be a very wide open game, but I think Roma are much better defensively than, than Shakhtar are. And, uh, I think they're going to get come away with a victory like you. I, I like the 3-1 scoreline. Uh, yep. The way Chenji Zunder is playing right now and, and Jekko is finding the net. Uh, Nyangalan's getting better. Uh, freaking uh, De Rossi it looked like a vintage De Rossi this past weekend. So uh, I like I like Roma's chances in this one, and uh, I, I feel pretty confident that they, they're going to get a result in this. I agree. I agree. I think that they'll see off Shakhtar and get to the last eight. It'll be nice. We'll have two Italian teams. Uh, in the last eight of the Champions League. Been a while since we've uh, been able to say that. So, yeah, as long as they don't play uh, each other. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, 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 and Lord knows that uh, the UEFA guys will get together and say, this isn't right, let's put them against each other. But we won't have a problem with that because then one of them will get to the semifinals. Uh, so um, so do that all you want there, UEFA. Um, <laughs> uh, Europa League first leg, uh, and this is where it gets bad for the Italian teams in Europe, and it was AC Milan against Arsenal. Um Sold out San Siro, uh, which was great to see. That was the good. That was about that was about the best thing uh, that that came from this game. It's always great when the San Siro sold out. There's just an atmosphere to it, you know. And I was there, and I I was there in person when it was sold out. It's just awesome. Uh, but um, uh, that was good. The atmosphere was good. What happened on the pitch? Not so good. Uh, uh, Arsenal uh, found where they could get at Milan early and took advantage. And Henrik Mkhitaryan scoring on 15 minutes uh, to get the first away goal. And then it was Aaron Ramsey uh, in the fourth minute of stoppage time of the first half uh, on a through pass from Mesut Ozil. Um, and then Ramsey was left 1v1 with Donnarumma, beat him, just tucked in, just had the, uh, the, the goal at his mercy and just passed it in. Um, Milan came forward, tried to generate some things, but nothing that really struggled, no, nothing that really troubled Ospina uh, in, in that Arsenal net. Um, leaving uh, Milan with a huge mountain to climb, Richard, uh, in the second leg. Um, I called in on uh, Sirius XMFC on Friday to talk to Tom Rennie and uh, Rodney Marsh from Grumpy Pundits. Right on. I have to I have to call in because I don't have your credentials where <laughs> they call you and ask you to do a spot. 
So, to, to, you know, to kind of speak of the Milan side because they were just going on and on and on about Arsenal. So I just had to give the Milan take on it. And, I, and what I said to them was pretty simple. I thought they choked. Um, you know, and it's it's easy to see them doing that because out of that starting 11, which was Gattuso's best 11 available to him, um, one player in that 11 has ever played in the game anywhere close to this uh, uh, anywhere close to this kind of magnitude. Yeah, and that's Leonardo Benucci. Um, you know, Bilia is 31 years old, and it's amazing to say that he's not been. He, I don't. I can't remember a game that he's been in like. Um, you know, Bonaventura is 27, clearly has not been in a game like this yet in his career. And then everybody else in that lineup is 25 and younger. You know, we're talking about Patrick Cutroni is 20, Kessie's 20, Donnarumma's 19, Calabria is 22. I mean, you know, very young players in a in an environment against a team that's been around the block in this kind of situation. And when you've got young players like this, you know, one of two things are going to happen. Um, either they're going to play at a high level. Uh, because they just don't know any better, uh, or they're going to find those lights are going to be just a little bit too bright for them. Um, you know, and unfortunately, that's what the la- that, that's the latter. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, on Milan overall? Um, I, I know a lot of Milan Twitter was very doom and gloom after the game. I kind of saw it differently. I thought Milan did actually well, and they held most of the ball in, the, in, the, in that game. I thought they did fairly well for two thirds of the pitch. It just seems the last third is where they struggled to have any, any ideas. Uh, Arsenal were superior in the in the clinical sense. Uh, they they took their chances well. Uh, Mkhitaryan and and Mesut Özil were outstanding. They just were free to do whatever they wanted, and they look like they're both in their prime. You know, compared to uh, playing against Milan, um, that's something definitely they're gonna have to take care of coming in the second leg. But uh, you know, other than that, I like what Milan was doing. They just got to find a way to score. And maybe it is like you're saying they choked because they haven't they haven't been in the situation. These young players. Uh, and so they they weren't able to do what they normally do, what they have been doing in Serie A, and, and it's getting some goals. Um, so hopefully they they learn they learn quickly from this game, and they can try to turn it around in the second leg because we we know um, big leads don't mean anything in, in Champions League, especially with Milan and Arsenal involved. We've seen this a couple of years ago when Milan had a four nothing lead and Arsenal nearally turned it over completely and ended up winning the second leg three nothing, and it was a four three aggregate. Um, and other yeah. teams it's happened. PSG, look at them against Barcelona. They had a freaking five nothing lead or five one lead and lost six nothing or six one. So. Uh, anything can happen. You just got to keep your head in the game. For, uh, for Arsenal, they just got to keep doing what they're doing. They should see it out. Uh, but at Milan, they need to turn this around big time. Um, the only thing that stinks about, I mean, the, the, the examples you gave is that that first leg was at home and they won and took care of business at home. And yeah. then It'll yeah, be a little harder this, this time. Is, <laughs> yeah, this is this is going to be a little bit of a harder scenario. Can we get mad at our friend Arthur um, out in L.A.? Uh, for his fellow countrymen scoring on us. Uh, I thought you were going to say because he's in L.A., which I was like, yeah. Uh, well, because he's in L.A. too. But <laughs> no, I got yeah, no Mkhitaryan, yeah, he, he was just fantastic. He looked like he couldn't, he could do no wrong in the game. He was just literally pulling the strings. Him and Ozil, uh, there were one and one A as far as uh, players of the match uh, in that last game. Uh, yeah. Mkhitaryan, uh, he seems that he's uh, enjoying the free reigns now that he's at Arsenal now because at United he seemed to be under wraps a little bit. And a guy with that kind of talent, he was at Shakhtar. Uh, we've seen it before. This guy is uh, immense talent. And uh, unfortunately, the Armenian uh, took it to Milan. Yeah, I mean, and some other noteworthy, praiseworthy performances from Arsenal. Of course, Mezzodoza with the two assists, he actually felt like playing uh, in this game. There are games where he's just totally, you know, uh, he's just totally vanished. Uh, you know, from the pitch, or you just don't even know that he's out there. Uh, but it is a wor- the World Cup's coming soon. I think he wants to start impressing Yogi 
um, over there at Germany. And then uh, I, you know, Granit Xhaka really did a nice job, uh, you know, disrupting some of the things that, you know, Milan were trying to do. Uh, I thought that it was a very thought, – thought, thought that he put in a good shift in this game as well, um, you know, just looking at it from the Arsenal standpoint. Return leg. Um, I just – I don't see Milan reversing this. I, you know, I wish – I want to come out here and say it's going to be – 3-1, and they're going to win on three away goals. I just, I'm not confident that it's going to happen. You know, and I think Catuso's saying all the right things. He said, we're not going there for a picnic. That's what, those were his words. Um, <laughs> and he should, and, and, he, and he should, and they shouldn't. They, they're, they're still relatively in this thing. But it's, it's too big a mountain to climb for me. I say they're going to win 2-1. They're going to be desperately looking for that third goal, and they'll just, they're just going to come up short. How do you, how do you feel about this game? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I like the spirit that this team has had over the last 14, 15 games, or maybe 14, not including the Arsenal game. Um, so I do think they have to fight in them, and they, they had fighting before with Montella, under Montella. Um, I, I could see them putting a lot, of, putting a good effort in this one, um, getting two goals, getting our hopes up. Uh, then I could also see a late goal by Arsenal as well, and and then sealing it off. I'm going to go with you a 2-1 scoreline. Um, I think they're going to make it interesting, get our hopes up, uh, but they're going to fall short in the end. Uh, it just seems like it's, they, they, they shot themselves in the foot in the first leg, and, and it's, going to, it's going to come back to bite them, and maybe it'll be a learning experience for them. Hey, I'll be happy that we're both wrong uh, come, come next week or, or whatever. Oh, I'd love, to be, I'd love to be wrong. I would. But uh, we'll see. I, I, I'm not too confident uh, that uh, Milan can get a result. Yeah, I, I'd love to be wrong. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. And the other game in the Europa League, Lazio and Dinamo Kiev. When I saw this draw, I said, oh, chalk Lazio up for the last eight. It's uh, yeah, it's done and dusted because just kind of what I observed from Dinamo Kiev, they had such a hard time putting away AK Athens um, and uh, nearly lost uh, to the Greek side. Um, you know, so... Uh, but that's why you got to play these games. It was nil-nil at halftime, and it was actually Viktor Tsigankov of Dinamo Kiev getting uh, the Ukrainian side the shock 1-0 lead, the away goal, um, which Chiro Immobile would cancel out two minutes later uh, and uh, get get the home side level. Eight minutes later, Felipe Anderson did put Lazio ahead um, thanks to Chiro Immobile. Um, and you thought maybe, okay, order's restored, but uh, Dinamo Kiev just wouldn't go away. Uh, and their talisman, Junior Morais, uh, in the 79th minute, uh, scored a second away goal. So this is 2-2. This is advantage Dinamo Kiev and going back to the Ukraine. Um, you know, if Re- if Red Bull Salzburg didn't go to Dortmund uh, and pull off that shock, we probably would be talking about this being the most surprising result of the first leg in the Europa League. Yeah, not too many people outside of Ukraine would probably have picked this result uh Lazio the form that they've been in especially Europa League um you would have you would have figured that you would have penned them into the quarterfinals right there but yeah they've been struggling of late and it, it seemed to come into this game as well and they they seemed to be not prepared for for uh Dynamo Kiev and it's very unlike Inzaghi to not be ready for a team uh it is a little bit worrying it's I mean it's kind of like Juve, Juve were after their first leg against Tottenham uh 2-2 giving up two goals at home so um, it's not 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 the ideal situation, but they are in a better situation than Milan. What's going on with Lazio lately? I mean, it just feels like they're just yeah. wildly inconsistent all of a sudden. We're going to talk about their uh, 
their league game from the weekend too. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to have the same discussion when we talk about them. Um, but they, they have been, they, they're getting weird on us lately all of a sudden. And I guess as Milan fans, we should be fine with it because we're trying to catch them. Uh, you know, or we're going to be competing with them for fourth place, them and Inter, uh, you know, uh, going forward if we're trying to, we're, we're trying to catch up. But, um, but, uh, what is it with Lazio all of a sudden? Uh, they're just, they're, they're, they're dropping games that earlier in the season you would never have, uh, you would never have expected this from them. Yeah, it's very mind-boggling. Um, them and Inter both are just uh, have a little bit of mental lapse right now, and I, it's a long season. I get it, but you come down the stretch now. This is where you want to be playing your best, your best ball. Uh, Lazio and, and Inter they both started out really hot, and now they're just both in this little decline. And Lazio had the goals; they've been getting goals. They're still getting goals, but they can't seem to stop anybody now. It's like they gave up playing defense. Um, I don't know. They're just they're, their heads aren't into it right now, or something. I don't know. Inzaghi's got to get them their heads on straight if they want to a get Champions League uh, next season, but also b if they want to get through Dynamo Kiev, which is going to be uh, a tall order uh, in itself. Indeed. Now we say all this about what's going on with Lazio. They're weird to me. They're inconsistent. I think they're going to go to Dynamo Kiev and win. <laughs> so figure that one out. Uh, the, the, I think they're going to nick a two-one win here. Um, it just because. And I only say this because knowing what I know about Dinamo Kiev and their history when they're in spots like this, they've blown it more often than they've gone through. This is not a Dinamo Kiev with Andrei Shevchenko and Sergei Rebrov, you know, from those late 19, from the late 1990s. You know, this is, this is a team that you can pick on and get at. They've got some good players. Sigankov is very good. Junior Marias. They've got, uh, the Paraguayan, Derlis Gonzalez, uh, who's a talent. Uh, Garmash is a solid player, but as a team collectively, when they get into these moments, they're, they're, with all due respect to John Solano and to Scott Monroe, they can be the Roma of the Ukraine. They just, they, they self-destruct. And I guess I'm kind of counting on that. And Lazio will, will, will earn a place in the last eight because of it. And I think they're going to sneak a 2-1 win. How do you see Thursday going for Lazio? Well, I do like the fact that last leg, you know, Felipe Anderson, Felipe Anderson scored again. Uh, Immobile has been scoring a lot lately, um, so I do like their chances. I, I like if you, you know, for you're picking apples, uh, apples oranges. You got such attacking threat over there at Lazio, and you know, Dinamo Kiev. They have guys, uh, but I'm going to put my money on the Lazio guys because I've seen what they've done game week in week out. Uh, may, they may not defend well, but they, they're uh, they can certainly score. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a win too. And I think it's gonna go with something like a four one win or three one win. I'll give them a three one three one win. Um, I'm confident that they're gonna get a victory and they're gonna shake off that first leg and, and get into the quarterfinals. Wow, you think they'll just run riot then? Um, so okay, and, and 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 that could very well happen. So we we like Lazio to get through uh, to the last eight of the Europa League. We think Milan are gonna just fall short. Uh, we also like Roma to reach the last eight of the Champions League. So uh, by the time all the games are played this week, we will have three Italian teams remaining with two in the Champions League and one in the Europa League. Uh, let's see what happens with that. Uh, so that that will uh, conclude our little look at uh, how we fared in Europe. Let's uh, have a look at Match Week 28 now. Okay, well, uh, obviously, and, and it's a recurring theme, and it's a recurring discussion, and deservedly so, uh, the memory of Davide Astori is front and center on the minds of 
all of the Serie A teams and tributes were uh, paid paid and paid very tastefully, I might add, uh, at every stadium uh, here in match week 28. Uh, the moments of silence, some of the tributes, some of the banners. Um, I do have to say to the fans that were in attendance and paid their respects and, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and showed their love. Very well done. Uh, you know, very good to see. Um, very respectful and very tasteful. Uh, thank God in a society like this, right, Richard? Yeah, absolutely. And if and if you get a chance, everyone listening out there, go. Watch, there's a there's a clip on YouTube, and we'll we'll retweet it. Uh, it's like the first 12 minutes of the game where uh, it's a pre before the before the opening kickoff, and then the you know the handshake, and it's it's just so beautiful and it's so moving just to watch how how the the first uh, 12 minutes of the game turned out. Uh, you should check it out, and also watch the 13th minute when they did the hill celebration or the moment of silence for uh for a story. So uh, yeah, definitely check it out. And as we mentioned, when we reviewed the game with Chloe, um, you know, we talked about how, you know, once minute 13 came, they kicked the ball out of bounds and they just stopped playing for well over a minute, um, you know, so that uh, the, the, the whole stadium could have a, have a nice tribute to Davide Astori. So. And I meant, to, I meant to say this to, to Chloe, but uh, Tancredi, um, he posted something about like right after the game against Benevento, all the Fiorentina players just fell to the floor crying. Uh, that, that's, that was also touching. Uh, it just meant so much to them to get the win, and, and, and they had a had a rough week, obviously. Uh, so it just uh, fo- that's football. I mean, it can be it can be tragic and it can be beautiful all in the same time. Indeed, indeed, and uh, you know our uh, our props to all of the uh, home stadiums uh, that uh, and the home crowds uh, at the Olimpico in Roma, at the Marcantonio Bentegodi in Verona, uh, at the Renato Dell'Ara in Bologna. Uh, at the Sardinia Arena in Cagliari, at the Enzo Shida in Crotone, at the Allianz Stadium in Turin, uh, the Mape Stadium in Reggio Emilia, uh, in uh, the Luigi Ferraris in Genoa, and then the uh, San Siro uh, in Milan. They all uh, they all upped their game for this, and uh, rightfully so. And uh, everybody did uh, uh, did a great job in remembering uh, Fiorentina's captain. Uh, but let's uh, let's get to the action and uh, everything started Friday. Obviously, Roma with the uh, Champions League game coming up, so Serie A scheduled this game accordingly to give them uh, give them some time to rest and be prepared for that. They take on Torino um, and no uh, no at halftime. And if you if you checked out uh, you know Roma Twitter and some of the banter guys there, a lot of them a lot of embarrassed people and disgusted with Roma's display in the first half. Allison keeping a minute. Uh, I I checked out this game. I, I tend to agree with the banter guys on this one, Richard. Uh, but second half, uh, you know, they made some adjustments and they stepped up their game here. Um, uh, and I think a big reason for for Roma having their issues in the first half was uh, Iago Falke for Torino was let loose just a little too much, um, you know, and generated generated some pretty good chances, uh, you know, among some of the others. Uh, for the Granata. But anyway, second half, uh, the scoring opened with Costas Monolas, Manolas in the 56th minute. Uh, and then uh, turn back the clock. Daniele De Rossi pops up on the score sheet in the 73rd. Lorenzo Pellegrini in the 93rd minute in stoppage time to seal the deal and give Roma a 3-0 win. We talked about the Milan game being a hiccup. Um, and maybe to an extent, the away game at Shakhtar, which is a difficult game to go and get a result. I, I think that's in the rearview mirror now. And after winning at Napoli 4-2 and then winning 3-0 here, Roma's back on track. And 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 right now, I just don't see them. Uh, 
I don't I don't see them coughing up third place going forward. How how do you feel about Roma after after this game? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Uh, of the three teams that are trying to get that third place spot between Roma, Lazio, and, and Internazionale, uh, Roma certainly looked the team that's uh, that wanted the most at the moment. Uh, the other two are, like I said before, they're in a decline at the moment. They're playing up and down. Uh, but Roma, they they had that one hiccup against Milan, but they've been they've been holding steady and, and, and getting results left and right and impressive results at that. With you know, three nothing Torino is very impressive, but four two at at Napoli, that's. Uh, that's something you don't say too often, um, especially the last few seasons. So uh, they are—they are, seem to be righted. The ship's been righted, and uh, look out for Shakhtar and look out the rest of Syria because uh, they're going to be being business down the stretch. And uh, whoever has to play them, um, they—they got to be ready because uh, it's going to be—it's going to be very, very difficult. And, and like Scott Monroe was saying, he—he uh, he tweeted out the other day, they were also turning back the clock, looking like he was like ten years ago, passing balls around the pitch. Uh, he got a goal in, in this game, so uh, very, very scary Roma at the moment. Uh, definitely agree with you there. Um, Torino, uh, Europe is a bridge too far. They're not going to get relegated, so uh, uh, this might be the first team that uh, this is the first. This might be the first team that hits the beach uh, before the season's over with. Other than Kievo, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about them a little later. Yevo might want to come back from that beach, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I thought Iago Falca was very impressive in this game, and he's had a very good season. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Belotti had his issues getting free, and you you definitely have to give. I think more credit goes to Juan Jesus than uh, than Costas Manolas in this game. From what I saw, obviously Manolas scoring a goal, um, but uh, but uh, you know, Belotti had his issues. Uh, you know finding any space or finding any freedom and i think that juan jesus deserves a little bit of an honorable mention uh for his efforts in this game yeah yeah he he filled in uh very admirably and he i mean they shut down the shut down belotti and and uh, the guys i mean yaga had a, he had a, he was causing them panic in the in the first half but they they figured it out in the second half and got the results they needed awesome awesome yes very good uh very good for roma they keep on clicking at those at this point and uh uh, sitting on 56 points and uh, four points clear of fifth. So uh, looking better and better for them as this goes on. Uh, on Saturday, Richard, uh, small matter of the Verona derby, and you being a Classic Kiewo fan, you can tell us about this a little bit. <laughs> try, not, try, try not to cry, by the way. I'll try, I'll try. Yeah, big game at the Bentagodi. Uh, like I said, beginning of the season, uh, I was looking forward to seeing the Verona derby back in Syria. Um, good crowd. I mean, a, a standing crowd for uh, for Hellas in this one, being being the home team. Uh, it was uh, you know two teams who are both struggling right now. Uh, but you know, Kievo they had one win in twelve, ma- 12 one win in twelve games or one win in thirteen games going into this. Uh, Hellas had at least four wins in the last uh, however many games. So they're they were the better of the two. And uh, Kievo is not a team that you would think that you'd be talking about in a relegation battle. But the way they've been playing, you know, this last 12, 13 games, they are definitely in this fight. So this game had a lot, you know, a lot to lot to deal with. Uh, it was a relegation six pointer, basically. Um, the game went back and forth. Both teams had their opportunities. Um, you know, Sergio Plessier had his opportunities. Uh, who else was it? There was there's a bunch of guys. Both, both the play was going both ways. It was zero zero at halftime. Um, we didn't have any score lines, but it was certainly entertaining. Uh, we finally got the breakthrough, though, uh, in the 52nd minute. Um, Antonio Caracciolo finally got the goal, the breakthrough for Hellas, giving the one nothing lead. 
Um, Hellas have been having good performances as of late. Uh, they beat, what did they beat, Torino the other week or what it was? Um, yeah, they beat Torino 2-1. Yeah, so they, they've been getting some some interesting results lately and good results for them. And so they're up one nothing in this one. Kievo, they tried uh, mightily. You know, Inglese came close. Uh, Policier came close again later on. Uh, but that was the only goal in this game. Hellas Verona with the win. They pull with, they pull to within three points, I believe, of uh, Kievo now. Um, it's getting very very tight at the bottom, and it's uh, certainly a race that everyone's going to have to tune into for the rest of the season. Definitely agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, a, a redeeming thing for Hellas Verona is having Daniele Verde back uh, and playing with some regularity. He's a creative piece uh, for what they're doing going forward. Um, you know, and, and he was rather influential in this game. Obviously got the assist on Caracciolo's uh, goal uh, in this game as well. Set-piece specialist does some interesting things there. Uh, so as long as he can stay fit and can play regularly, they've got a chance. Moise Ken obviously didn't turn up on the score sheet in this game, um, but uh, he's he's proven to be quite useful here down the stretch. Uh, so there are some pieces here that are going to give Verona an opportunity to survive, uh, and they're very much in this right now. Even you know sitting on 22 points and in 19th place, but they're only two points from safety when you take a look at it. Yeah. Their goal their goal difference isn't horrible. Uh, you know, minus 26, when you think of Sassuolo, who right now is at minus 31. Uh, so when goal difference comes down to this, it's gonna, that's going to be an interesting factor. If they can match Sassuolo on points uh, and get ahead of Spall, they're out. So um, Can we officially call the flying donkeys the grounded donkeys? Uh, I think Matteo Benetti already did that about a month ago. You can't take his, you know, we're, we're uh, about did integrity. He? Did he? Yeah, we're about integrity and coming up with our own ideas on Serie A Sita and unlike, uh, unlike other people out there. So, <laughs> well, I credit Matteo Matteo with that one. <laughs> yeah, let's give credit. Let's let's credit where credit is due. At the Calcio guy, hey, we're 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 using your line to the grounded donkeys. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a safe thing to say. I think Matteo Benetti's been saying that for about a month. You and I have been saying it, but not necessarily calling them that. Um, we're not as yeah. clever as Matteo. No, no, not at all. Um, but boy, are uh, <laughs> Kiev are in some trouble. They got to get this sorted out because they're in. They're in a world of hurt right now. Um, and uh, nobody's listening to us. Though we said Moran has got to go. He, 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 I mean, there's not much you can do with players during the season. Uh, but there's one thing you can do with the manager, and that'll definitely shake up the room. Um, they can't do any worse than they're doing right now. So get rid of him. Yeah, and and hey, your Premier your Premier League team, Southampton, they fired your boy here with what? Good riddance. Nine, nine games left, and and they're they're in a relegation fight. So. You know they've they've read the writing on the wall and say hey we need we need we need different leadership if we're gonna you know if we're going to be able to do this so you know it's uh it's just the way it's uh, it's just the way it's gonna be at this point um you know and Kiev will really in for a fight here and if they're gonna st- there's obviously a, either a lot of faith a lot of blind faith in Ronaldo Moran or the owners uh, or Moran has compromising pictures of the owners um, at Kiev as to why he still has a job at this point so. Uh, but there will be such a thing as too late. Um, Sunday, uh, we talked about the early game with Fiorentina and Benevento with Chloe. Uh, and then following that was the round of multi-calcio games headlined by Juventus hosting Udinese. Um, and uh, usual scenes there, uh, a very well done tribute at the Alliance Stadium in honor of Davide Astoria, as, as we said, with all of the stadiums. But uh, Juventus had to get to the business at hand following up that impressive Champions League win over Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, with a win in league play uh, to con- to put themselves ahead of Napoli 
uh, in the standings uh, and grab first place with Napoli having to go to Inter. Uh, and uh, everything started in the 20th minute, a free kick from Paulo Dybala, one of his better ones yet, uh, putting the old lady in front on 20 minutes uh, by a goal to nil. And just four minutes after halftime, after some excellent hold-up play uh, by Gonzalo Higuain, uh, Dybala is released and puts the ball in the back of the net uh, to get a brace, uh, to get Juventus up 2-0. That would be the score. It would be there to stay. Uh, noteworthy, Gonzalo Higuain missed another penalty, uh, this in the 38th minute. Um, it's a wonder why he's still taking penalties yeah, over there. I was going to say it's, that him and Dybala both have been missing a lot. They need to find another penalty kick taker. Yeah, it's it's definitely been interesting. Uh, it's definitely been interesting in that respect. But you know what? I think the uh, the attention here needs to be on Paulo Dybala. It looks like after the clutch goal against Lazio, the clutch goal against Tottenham, and now two here against Udinese, uh, he's back, and he is more than deserving of wearing that number 10. Absolutely, and uh, all credit has to go with uh, Massimiliano Allegri because it seems that he knew what he was doing uh, by sending him out for all that time, and now he's, uh, he's got his uh, number 10 playing at the, at the what the number 10 should be doing in right now and scoring big goals and big games. Um, and he's going to be crucial for them coming down the stretch, especially uh, depending on who they face in the quarterfinals. Um, he'll be instrumental in... in and if Juventus want to go move on and you know stay in, stay in the top spot in Serie A and, and move on in the Champions League, Paolo Dybala is going to have to be the man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, he's 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 the creative spark for that team, no doubt about it. You know, Mirlan Pjanic certainly does does some good stuff from the from from a more deep lying position, and they're getting some they're getting some interesting and some useful stuff from Douglas Costa as well. But when it comes down to it, they ne- they need their number ten at his best. Uh, you know, if they're going to win everything that they're playing for, because the treble is alive and well for Juventus, uh, they're they're uh, they're in contention on all three fronts. So, uh, why don't you tell us about Bologna Atalanta? Yeah, so Atalanta were traveling to Bologna. This uh, this game uh, was an interesting one. It seemed on paper that it was fairly fairly even matchup. Um, Atalanta no longer have to worry about Europa League as they were bounced by Dortmund. Um, and so they now their focus is trying to get back into Europa League uh, via Syria. Uh, they have a, it's a tall order, but they are very close to both Sampdoria and Milan at this point. Uh, it, and it's not out of the realm that they could they could catch those two teams. Um, so in this one, they wanted to, they wanted to make a statement, and uh, they and they were in attack mode in this one for sure. Um, they they enjoyed majority of the possession in this game. I think like sixty five percent to thirty five or something to that, that effect. Um, they had a numerous amount of opportunities. Uh, this game would have been uh, a blowout if it wasn't for the for the the likes of uh, Antonio Marante uh, in goal uh, for Bologna. He was uh, spectacular in this one. He made probably three to five crucial saves in this one uh, to really you know Atalanta were just by far the best team in this one. Um, it, you know the first half ended zero zero. Uh, time kept ticking on, still no goals. Atalanta faithful uh, who were in attendance uh, were starting to get worried that they were, weren't going to be able to get a result in this one. Um, 70th minute comes, nothing. 75, nothing. Uh, but finally, finally, in the 83rd minute, Martin Darun, uh gets on the score sheet, uh, gets Atalanta the lead. 
um, a, a very nice goal. Uh, it's it, you don't always win pretty, uh, even though sometimes uh, you may be dominating the game. But it, all that matters is the three points. Uh, Atalanta do get the three points, uh, and they pull to within three points, I think, of Sampdoria and the chase for the Europa League, uh, and also six points behind Milan, who currently hold that position. Mm-hmm. Um, a vital win for Atalanta, really. I mean, an important one for them. Um, and, and, and they're very much in this European discussion because, you know, 41 points and they have, you know, two games in hand on, yeah. four, on fourth. Yeah. So if they can find a way, obviously one of those is Juventus coming up here at midweek at the J. Uh, um, I don't hold out a lot of hope for that. But even if they can, uh, I, I, the other game I've got to, um, What's the other game that they've got to make up yet? Um, uh, was it Napoli? No. No, it wasn't Napoli. Um, oh, but, man. It uh, was, uh, yeah. Oh, I can't remember now. Uh, it's, it's, oh, you know what? It was probably it was from one of the games uh, that was just postponed last week oh, duh, uh, with, yeah. with the Astori yeah. passing. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if they can win that, you know, they're good. And I think that, that was a home match. And, you know, I'll be able to go back and look. And, you should be able to go back and look and see soon what that was. Um, but, um, matter of fact, I'll look at it, look it up right now, but I can't see them winning at, at, at the J. So even if they can still get a win, uh, and it's at home against Sampdoria, um, when that game gets made up, if, you know, obviously if they can win that, uh, and get level on points with Sampdoria, they're very much alive still for a European place. Um, you know, but that's also counting on Milan stumbling the rest of the way, which right now at the way that Milan ru- are running, it's hard to say that they're going to do that. Uh, so, uh, you know, certainly going to be a vital, you know, a couple of vital games here for Atalanta, definitely a ca- chance to catch up. Um, uh, and finding ways to win still. You know, I mean, a team like this has been through the Europa League, went out at the round of 32 to Borussia Dortmund in crushing fashion, really, um, and still uh, keeping their heads up and still trying to play uh, play their way back into the into the competition for next season. It's pretty nice to see from them. Yeah, and they're going to give teams a, a tough run for their money for the down down the stretch because uh, they're very capable of getting results. Uh, you, they'll, they'll push Juve for sure. They definitely pushed Napoli a few weeks back. Um, Atalanta, uh, while they on paper they may not look like the the most skillful team, they have the chemistry that many teams do not have, uh, and they got decent depth also. Uh, a lot of young players in there who are playing better. Above their potential, really. So um, uh, good for them. That Gasparini, he's just a, a marvelous manager. Yeah, he's done an excellent job there. Uh, no doubt about it. Okay, so moving on uh, within that multi calcio, uh, we talked about Lazio uh, letting it get away against Dinamo Kiev, and then all of a sudden they have to travel to Cagliari, which we have said in the past, Richard. There are days where that's an easy fixture, but then overall the travel to the island uh, always can present some challenges, and especially coming off a midweek Europa League game. So really anything anything could have happened in this one. And on 25 minutes, Leonardo Pavoletti scored a goal that, uh, let's just say he'll take it. It went off his face, um, and I don't think he knew too much about it. But that put, <laughs> that put the Sardinians in front by a goal to nil. Ten minutes later, uh, a set piece for Lazio um, and a nicely uh, – uh, headed in nicely by Luca Cepatelli. Small problem with that. Luca Cepatelli plays for Cagliari, and he put it on his own net. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. Not good. that's not good. <laughs> no bueno. Um, but one-one uh, at halftime. Uh, second half. That's all the Spanish I know, by the way. Um, <laughs> so um, you're <laughs> well a poly, said, <laughs> you're a polyglot, so you're probably embarrassed by my efforts. 
Uh, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Calgary would take the lead through a Nicola Barella penalty in the 74th minute. We thought we were in for a shock with Calgary gaining three points, but in the 95th minute. <laughs> The man that is on a blitzing trail to the Capo Canonieri, Ciro Immobile, added again with a last gasp goal. Oh, uh, yeah. Honors even two drop points for Cagliari, a point earned for Lazio, but still, Lazio are weird, aren't they, Richard? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling, like... You would think Calgary should be easy three points for them, and somehow they get a draw on this one as well. Uh, but Immobile, what a goal by him. Would you say that's up there with the Belotti goal for goal of the year? That little flick is like a little Zlatan flick with back, back heel flick uh, to tie the game. Unreal goal by him. I, um, I, I still like the Belotti goal. I oh, mean, yeah. because, that, I mean, just how high he had to get up and, and get over it. Technically, what he did. But yeah. this goal is nice by Belotti. Yeah. Uh, by by uh, Immobile. Um, definitely a beautiful goal. But besides that, I mean, you giving up two goals. That penalty you know, to Barella, um, what are they doing? I mean, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, if it really, really, they only scored one goal in this game because uh, Chip, uh, uh, Chipatelli scored an own goal. So I mean, they gotta find ways to get get results against teams like Cali who are in you know mid table or below. Um, it's one thing if you're if you're getting these kind of results against you know uh, Inter or, or Napoli or something like that, but these teams at the bottom, if you re- if you're really serious about Champions League, you know uh, a Champions League place, you're gonna have to play a lot better than this. I'm sorry. They got to defend better. I mean, they're they're yeah, they're, exactly. going, they're, they're going to score. They're the highest scoring team in the league right now. Um, on sixty six, they've got sixty six goals here. Uh, you know. By the way, what's the what's the Immobile tracker up to? Uh, I think he's on pace for 32. So he would he would fall short. He's got 24 and 28 games, and on that pace, he would do 20, 32. Ah, uh, okay. Full season. So he would fall short of what Higuain did at Napoli. Slacker. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But still, Lazio, they're the highest scoring team in the league at the moment on 66 goals. Juve 65, Napoli 62. It's the defending, and they've given up 36. You know, suddenly we're not speaking so highly of Thomas Strakosia. Yeah. Uh, not speaking so. I mean, these defenders, uh, Bastos and, and Devry, and, and they go forward and they score goals on set pieces, but then, you know, they're leaking them the other way. Um, so, you know, some things need to get fixed. Maybe this three man defense doesn't work anymore for Lazio. Uh, and, and, and Inzaghi's got to be willing to adapt and try something different. Um, you know, but because uh, right now they're in fourth. Uh, but I'll argue right now with how, you know, Milan's starting to come into it. And Inter's a little shaky, but they're still there. Fourth might flatter Lazio at this point, given their current form. Um, yeah, yeah. On I mean, the other, Inter's playing Milan. Can they catch him? I don't know. So, like yeah. you're saying, it's it's a flattering for them, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Cagliari, boy, they could use these two. These they could use those extra two points uh, just to have a little bit of separation from the bottom three, because now they're only two points clear of safety. Um, so that is definitely two, two points dropped. And if they end up getting relegated in the end of all of this, they're going to look at, they're going to look at that. They're going to look at that goal they gave up to Immobile as, 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 as one that they, that one that helped do with the, do the men. Don't you think? No, they would have to, uh, giving up a goal late, late like that. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's never good because it means you just had a slip of you had a slip of a concentration there just for a second, just enough to get let allow a goal like that. And uh, they're gonna they're gonna be really hating life if uh, they end up getting relegated. Yep, agreed, agreed. Let's move on. Uh, you've got uh, a five goal thriller between Crotone and Sampdoria. Yeah, so the game was at the Ezio Shida in, in Crotone. Uh, Frank, if I told you there'd be five goals in this game, you'd think that Sampdoria was the one who would come out the victors, wouldn't you? I would have thought because they still are an issue away from their home stadium that it would be like a 3-2, that they would have found a way to scratch it out. Okay, okay. Uh, this one was a, certainly an interesting one. Um, uh, yeah, you know, Sampdoria are in a battle for this Europa League, like we would say, with with Atalanta and Milan right now. Um, uh, they they've been holding par with Milan at the moment uh, for up to this game, uh, getting wins when when you're least expecting them to. Uh, going to Crotone, which um, it should be an easier game. However, Crotone been very tough this year. Last year. Uh, they're a little bit easier to push around until that last stretch of the uh, uh, of the season. Uh, but this year, they've, they've had more fight. They look like they want to belong in Syria. The games have been much closer, much tougher. Um, and so, and especially Crotone at home, is a, is a, that's when they play their best, I think, at least. Um, this game, the scoring actually started very, very quickly in this one. It started in the sixth minute when Marcello Trota uh, put, the, put the host uh, up one nothing. You know, about 20 minutes pass. Uh, there's chances both ways. Uh, and then Adrian Stoyan gets the goal in the 23rd. All of a sudden, it's 2 nothing Crotone, and you're scratching your head thinking, what the heck's going on here? Um, you think Napoli, uh, Napoli, Sampdoria could probably get one back here. Uh, play keeps continuing. And then 13 minutes later, that's again that man again, Marcello Trotta, with uh, a goal in 36 minutes. And Frank is 36, uh, 36, it's 3 nothing at halftime. Uh, what is going on? Three nothing to Crotone. Um, you know when they have the multi calcio on BN Sports, you know, and my son, will, my son will watch it with me. And they, they had Juventus Udinese as the main game, but then they put up the little multi calcio graphic that means a goal has been scored somewhere else. So we decided we're going to have a guessing game, you know, with all of the other with the options of all the other available teams who scored. You know, so when that the graphic comes up, we're like thinking, okay, you know, Lazio's. You know, at that point, Lazio's pulled ahead of Cagliari or or Sampdoria pulled one back. Well, then they go and they show Crotone's up three 0 They're like, no way. <laughs> so we didn't see that one coming. So, but no, it's a, it's a fun little thing to play. You know, um, you know, you know, with yeah. people in the room. If you're sitting and watching multi culture, see the graphic come up. Nobody peek at their phones. Try to guess who got the goal. You know, so um, just a little fun thing for everybody to do when they're doing that. Those of us that are those of you in North America that get be in sports. So. Um, but I yeah, can see people I, turning that to a drinking game. <laughs> yeah, and if you're wrong, you drink. Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> there you go. We're not. We don't condone alcoholism or, oh, or, or, no. or alcohol abuse on the set. I sit down while oh. I'm drinking, while I'm drinking a Coors Light. <laughs> uh, what <laughs> I, don't, meant- I definitely don't condone drinking Coors Light. It's just all I had in my fridge. <laughs> okay, you saved yourself there. <laughs> uh, what I failed to mention, uh, you know, it was three nothing at halftime. Uh, Gaston Ramirez did have to be substituted off in the thirty-first minute. Uh, Duvan Zapata did come in, so um, you know it was a, almost a like-for-like like switch there. Duvan Zapata has had a decent season this year, um, but didn't help in that first half. Um, but you know, Duvan Zapata would pay off eventually uh, in the sixty-ninth minute. He would peg one back for Sampdoria. Uh, it's three-one. You're thinking maybe they can get another goal back here. Um, but uh, just uh, 15 minutes later, 
Emiliano Viviano decided to get on the scoring action. One problem, Frank, uh, it was on his own goal. Uh, 4-1 would be the final score. I, I, just ton- think, I just think Viviano was just – I don't think he thought that his net was torn up enough. So he thought he would just uh, just put one more in and see if he could just rip that last thread that was hanging <laughs> or something like that. That's that's the only that's the only theory I have for that one. Oh man, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's unexpl- it's unexplainable what really happened there. Um, nine times out of ten, that game, Sampdoria is going to win that game, and uh, they just ha- they lost their concentration. Uh, and in a big big moment now, where they're you know they're trying to fight for a Europa League spot or maybe even a Champions League spot uh, at the out- at the outstretch. Uh, it, it doesn't look, you know, very good at this moment. And then, you know, Milan were still to play in this in this one, and we weren't sure how that was gonna, if they they're gonna be leapfrogged by Milan or not, because uh, all season Sampdoria had been on top, uh, but now they've been slipping and slipping at the wrong time. And how about Crotone? Um, you know, this is a parallel. You know, they get an impressive last year in as part of their survival bid, they got an impressive over an impressive win over a top-half team, Inter, uh, on their way to surviving. This is another top-half team that you maybe didn't expect to win win from, expect them to beat, uh, and they get it done. You know, it's just kind of one of those parallels, and it, it's the kind of three points. When you're in this dogfight with four, five other teams, you got to come up with three points that nobody expects you to get. Um, and this is three points that Crotone has that these other teams don't have. Yeah, advantage um, Crotone. Yeah, exactly. So that puts them in the driver's seat a little bit so that when they get into these little six-pointers with some of these other teams down the road, you know, that advantage is working for them a little bit. and It'll give them a little bit of confidence, too. Uh, so we could see Cotone pulling this off again, uh, even though I pegged him for relegation this year. So um, <laughs> I did, but, too. Uh, they just keep borrowing, uh, they keep borrowing strikers from Sassuolo to, to keep them afloat. Marcello Torta this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moving on, uh, the last game of the round of Multicalcio, uh, uh, Sassuolo and Spal, uh, that ended 1-1. The visitors went ahead through Mirko Antonucci, who continues to keep scoring for Spal. Uh, and then uh, just four minutes later, Sassuolo would equalize through a Kuma Babacar penalty. I'm just so tired of talking about Sassuolo, Richard. I, it, it, they're just so disappointed. I expected more from them. I just... I don't yeah. think we need to. I don't think we need to talk more about this game than we did. Uh, than than we just did. I mean, these are two teams that are mired in relegation right now. The way they've both been performing. I mean, Spall. I you know because they've had some fight in them. You'd like to see them stay up. If Sassuolo went down this year, I, I wouldn't be disappointed. Um, well, I'd be disappointed because they just horribly underachieved all season yeah. long. Disheartened, but, probably the best word for it. Yeah, I'd be dis- Yeah, disheartened. That's a better way to put it. So, you know, it's just. Uh, there's a there's some talent in that team. I mean, the only redeeming thing for the rest of the teams in Serie A is that if they do go down, there's some talent there that is going to get picked up for cheap. Um, so uh, just uh, just just a just a damn shame with them this year, especially what they were uh, for the last couple seasons with Di Francesco, that it's all falling apart. Um, so, but that's all there is to say about Sassuolo and Spall. Uh, you are going to tell us about a game that. As far as the slate is concerned, an under the radar big game. Yeah, so we had uh, at the Luigi Ferrari in Genoa um, a big game. Uh, Genoa, who's been very tough as of late, um, hosting Milan. Uh, Milan has been on a, a 13 game unbeaten streak in Serie A. Um, they're getting back into the Europa League fight. 
Uh, Genoa, who were in relegation mode for her a good part of the season uh, once uh, Davide Balladini came in, uh, kind of righted the ship, and now they're progressing back up the table. They're, they're right on mid-table now. Um, so they are looking uh, – this is, game is going to be very, a very interesting one because, as you said many times, uh, when you play Genoa, it's like going to a dentist chair. It's not going to be easy at all. It's going to be a dogfight. Uh, that's what this one was. Um, both teams had chance, opportunities in this one, but uh, – Milan, uh, they were not taking their opportunities much like in the Arsenal game. Uh, Bonaventura had a shot that went, out, that went high and wide. Uh, Kessie, the same thing. Uh, Fab, um, Kalinic had opportunity uh, from in the six-yard box, and he missed it. Mattia Perrin, I mean, you're going to have to really get an excellent shot against Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Kalinic missed an opportunity in the six-yard area? You don't say. Yeah, I don't say, huh? Yeah, I know. Why is he so certain? I don't know. Well, wonders uh, never cease. <laughs> no kidding, man. Um, Chalhanalu had some opportunities, and he couldn't get it in. Uh, it was an interesting game just because the fact that uh, it was starting to seem like maybe uh, – the way they played against Arsenal was maybe still in their heads. They, they couldn't it just again. They they weren't clinical enough. Um, this game had zero zero written all over it. Uh, you know, we, we get into ninetieth minute. Uh, the side referee holds up four minutes, and you're thinking, oh, at least I'm thinking, frankly, this is another draw we're going to get. Um, yeah, Sabdoria lost, so it's at least one point they can catch. Uh, uh, try to you know leapfrog uh, Sabdoria, but. Um, as we're ticking off to four minutes, uh, the ball goes wide uh, to Suzo. Suzo has been the most instrumental playmaker for Milan this season. Uh, he seemingly takes on two players uh, on the right wing, uh, and then he swings in across. Suzo rientra, parte il cross, colpa di testa per in, e c'è il gol del Milan al 49esimo del secondo tempo. Ha colpito Andre Silva col primo gol in Serie A all'ultimo respiro. And call him Nostradamus. Frank calls the goal for Andre Silva in the 94th minute plus stoppage time. Um, what a way to get your first goal for uh, for Milan. Andre Silva, an unreal header uh, to get all three points for Milan at the death. Uh, impressive win. Impressive. Well, I wouldn't say impressive win, but impressive uh, goal by Andre Silva. Maybe this will kickstart his uh, his season. Uh, and 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 help Milan get some much much goals much needed goals that they haven't had with Kalinic. This is now two times in the space of a week that I tweeted out for somebody to score a goal or to get on with it or whatever I said, and then they go and they score. <laughs> so yeah, Dybala was the other one, right? Yeah, Dybala was the other one in the Champions League. I had tweeted something like I said, "Okay, Dybala, if you really deserve to wear the number ten for Juventus, you step up now." Um, and then he scores. Um, and then in this game, Andre Silva came on. I tweeted out. I said, what a wonderful time. This would be a wonderful time for something. I'm paraphrasing. i got to go back and look at the tweet. But what a wonderful time this would be for Andre Silva to get his first Serie A goal. There's no or no better time or whatever I said. So, um, so for those of you out there that want to see players of your score goals, I'm open to requests, but it will cost you. Send me money. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, and He's I've got to have now. some. Yeah, I've got to say some creative message. I can't just say, "Damn it, will you score already?" Um, so anyway, uh, no. What a what a goal! And hopefully, this is the you know, with goal scores, the first one can be miles and miles and miles away, but once you've got it, Flood the case. next the next one's a block away. You know, 
And let's hope that's the case with Andre Silva because he deserves it. I wish he got more playing time than he did. I still think that there's this unnecessary faith in Nikola Kalinic. And Kalinic has done some decent things during this run for Milan when he's out on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. His hold-up plays, his hold-up plays fine. His finishing stinks, you know. And if I'm going to have a center forward with the playmakers surrounding him, Chalhanolu, I mean, if I'm a nine playing center forward and I've got Chalhanolu to my left, I've got Suzo to my right, and I've got Bonaventura, you know, somewhere behind me, and I've got Bonucci even deeper behind me, I'm salivating at the fact of the kind of passes and the kind of service that I'm going to get. You know? Absolutely. It should not be. his work rate, he should get goals. Yeah. And that's just the only thing missing from him because Kalinic does all of the other things reasonably well, but he gets dogged because he doesn't score. And, you know, he deservedly was substituted for Kutone, and then Silva came on for uh, Chahanalu, um, and then, uh, you know, and Silva came up with a goal. So, um, huge. I mean, that, those extra two points are going to mean so much because they're in pursuit now for fourth. And, and it's within reach um, with how Lazio are struggling, with how Inter are struggling. Uh, if Milan can put together a run, uh, there's no reason why they can't they, they they can't grab fourth and be in the Champions League next season. Yeah, it's gonna be very it's gonna be very interesting uh, come down the stretch because uh, Milan are in very fine form and they they can do it. it it's not beyond their reach. All right, well, rounding out uh, Match Week 28 uh, is a match that would have certainly, uh, if, if, if not for all of the, uh, you know, events uh, surrounding, you know, with, with the death of Davide Astori and a lot of the events that, uh, uh, that followed that, um, we probably would have had Inter and Napoli at the top of our, uh, at the top of our podcast, but uh, we will finish off with them. Um, Big, big game. Napoli, uh, obviously now second in the table going in after Juventus beat Udinese, uh, needing to get a win to get back to the top of the table. Inter would love to get the win to put a little more pressure on Lazio for fourth place. Um, neither team, uh, came through with the goods. It ended nil-nil. Uh, Napoli, Richard enjoyed quite a bit of possession, but by Napoli standards, disappointing because usually with this kind of possession, they're doing a lot of damage and, they really, for me, by their standards, this was a this game was a struggle for them. Yeah, yeah, certainly because uh, by their standards, uh, they they would get some goals in this one. Uh, they didn't seem like their normal selves. Maybe Inter had something to do with that. Um, and they definitely did. It was a defense it had something to do with that. But uh, it just wasn't what we expected from Napoli week in and week out. Um, and I don't know if this is. I, I don't know. Yeah, they ha- they had this. Uh, this Scudetto pack this season that they're all going for and you know they were doing so well up to this point and in the last couple of weeks it just seems that they it just slipped it's slipping from them and it's it's tough to see because uh the other team that they're they're battling against right now are in full throttle and show no signs of slowing down whatsoever oh well i mean you can't you can't i mean first of all nobody's scoring on juventus i mean it's 2018 and the only goals they conceded were those two champions league games against tottenham I mean, that's, that's that, crazy. That is it, crazy. Worry about scoring on Juventus first before worrying about beating them at this point. So, but you know, back to the point about Napoli. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, Handanovic wasn't bothered too much, and you, I don't think you would say that about a Napoli team. You know, with the with with what they've got going forward. So, I think some credit goes to uh, Milan Skriniar. I think he was terrific in this game. Uh, but on the other end, Koulibaly shut down. Does what he usually does against Mauro Icardi. He makes him anonymous. 
Um, so I'll ask you, uh, Koulibaly or Skriniar, who was better? To, who was better in this game? Ooh, man. Uh, Koulibaly uh, shutting down uh, Icardi was definitely impressive. Skriniar was more of a well, – what he did was certainly good. I think it's a, it's a collective with him and, and his back, the back four – uh, what they did to the front three of Napoli, that's that's really the impressive thing there because uh, that's a three-headed monster there as opposed to just one person. Um, I guess you could say Eder, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, it, anytime you shut down the front, the the, the beast in the, in the front there they have in Napoli, the three-headed monster, uh, that's that's an impressive feat right there. And the fact that Skriniar and, and, the, and the boys could uh, shut, the, shut them down is really, really impressive. So you kind of got to give it to Skriniar and, his, and, and the back line. Uh, but if you're just saying one person each, I, w- I would go Koulibaly just slightly, but it's a sure. tough call. Yeah, when uh, Spalletti brought Ader on, I said, okay, Napoli is good. Napoli's clean sheet is safe. Um, now can they just go score a goal? Um, because Ader, I mean, all you need to know is when they had the counterattack, Ader was running down the left and Brozovic had the ball in the middle, played Ader in, and Ader, on the way to trying to shoot, kind of tripped over his own feet. And it was just, it's like, how does this guy still have a job playing football? Um, <laughs> so... Uh, you know, a spot that a lot of people would have certainly finished. So yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't know yeah. why he's still playing. Yeah, uh, compromising pictures of Spalletti and the Inter brass, and then all, the the Azzurri brass on top of it. That's probably what it is. So, um, is I understand. Okay, Juventus have a game. They're a point ahead of Napoli. They have a game in hand. Considering that they're not giving up goals to anybody right now. Um, and considering that maybe Napoli are starting to, I mean, we'll, we'll see what this does to Napoli here going forward, but I am worried that even though that there's only one point separating the two and McGee and Ken are going to get very mad at me for saying this, I, I worry that this title race is over. If, if Juve get a four point lead, it, it is over. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that Juve are going to slip up, um, let alone once, but uh, twice down the stretch. Uh, Napoli are going to have to beat Juve. I mean, beat them. They're not going to have to. They can't draw them. Uh, and then they're going to have to hope that another team uh, gets a result against them. Maybe Milan or somebody like that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but but uh, Napoli are going to have to play near-perfect football from here on out uh, and hope that they get some help along the way for any chance to, to overpass uh, Juve, unfortunately. Yeah, and then that just means our attention is on fourth place because I think Rome is going to lock up third as we go. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I would put money down on that. You agree with that? Yep. So then it's just going to be a matter of who grabs the fourth uh, and final Champions League place. Um, you know, as far as what we have to look forward to, and then the relegation dogfight would be interesting. But the one last thing I want to talk to you about before we uh, put a bow here, put a bow on this thing here, Pepe Reina. Uh, it looks like this is done, and that he's joining Milan next season. Did is this weird to you that he was in Milan today for a medical? I mean, he's still under contract with the club. Milan still have to play Napoli here yet before this season is over. I mean, is this a weird way of doing things to you? It is, and I don't like it one bit. Uh, not, I don't like the, what they're doing. I, I don't like that Reyna's coming to Milan. I don't see where the value is. You're just going to pay an absurd amount of money for a backup. Um, yeah. 
I mean, uh, I don't get it. Anyway, uh, it is. I mean, because when, it's kind of like what, it's kind of like what Gotze when he signed with Bayern before the Champions League final. You know, the, before Bayern and Dortmund played in the final. Yeah. It's kind of like, what are you doing? Are you just trying to add distraction to the game to your team. You have this goal in mind, and then you tell everybody, "Hey, I'm going to Milan next season, even though we're going to lose this year, or maybe we can win. I don't know." You know, it's 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 stupid what it is. Sepe is going to play in goal against Milan. There, there's no way Reyna can play. And it's just the conflict of interest, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, especially if uh, if Milan score a couple, they're going to be like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know? Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a it's it, you know it's it's a it's a very awkward and weird situation. I retweeted. I said this is all weird to me. Ken agreed. He said it was really weird. It's just you know I don't you know as an ex, you know experienced backup and as a tutor to Donnarumma, I I, I welcome it. I kind of don't like how that how it's unfolded. I don't like the money that's going to him for him to just, you know, you know, sit and be a mentor. Um, but, you know, it is it is what it is. It's just a strange way of doing things. It's just, you know, one of those one of those deals. So, um, you know, but that's that. So we've got Juventus up by a point now in Napoli with the game in hand. And if they can beat Atalanta here at midweek, it's a four point gap with 10 to go. And Richard and I are both of the opinion that Juventus are not going to slip up twice for Napoli to take advantage um, so it really comes down to that race for fourth. Lazio holding it now in 53, Inter 52, Milan 47, Sampdoria 44, Atlanta, eh, Atalanta, I'm sorry, um, a player in this, but having to travel to the Juventus Stadium might knock off their chances for fourth, uh, but certainly alive for a Europa League place. And then that dogfight for relegation is where it's going to get interesting. Cagliari in 14th on 26th, all the way down to Verona. 19th on 22nd. Uh, I think we said after match week two that Benevento could start getting ready for uh, life in Serie B uh, for 2018-2019. And with that, we'll put a bow on this edition of the Serie A sit-down. Time to uh, shameless plug and offer where we can be found on social media. Richard, we'll start with you. Uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere at r underscore k h a r m a n, um, and I'm just finishing up uh, the last bits of my article on on the young Balan- uh, young Balich from uh, Udinese. So stay tuned for that; it'll be out on World Football Index. Can't wait for that. Um, and I mean, Matteo Benetti made an interesting point uh, in the Juventus Udinese broadcast about how Udinese has shifted their scouting to uh, from where they were very heavily in South America. Uh, and it yeah. shifted that now to Eastern Europe. When you take a yeah. look at the guys like Balic from Croatia and the Czech Republic players they have in the team, so yeah, 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 very good point that he, very good point that he made there. Um, uh, I'm at FTC underscore twenty one on Twitter. Uh, the Calcio consultant just on a little bit of a hiatus, uh, and I apologize for that. Um, uh, I, I can't tell you when I will have another blog, uh, you know, edition or what I'm going to write about. Um, you know, I hope to do something here in the next couple of weeks, just to have some things, uh, you know, professionally and at home that are, uh, you know, putting that on the back burner for now. But I do hope to uh, get back at it and, uh, you know, throw another cultural consultant piece or two here before the season is up. I just need to find the time to do it. Uh, so uh, do be patient with me as far as that. But otherwise, I, uh, I, I will be on the uh, Serie A sit down every week uh, up until the end of the season. Uh, and with that, um, we want to thank you for listening, obviously, in what was a very emotional weekend it, with tributes throughout the peninsula uh, for Fiorentina's fallen captain. And it's just a reminder uh, for all of us that, um, you know, there's no such thing as too many hugs for uh, for our loved ones and the ones that we hold dear. And uh, there's no such thing as saying I love you too many times to those that you love. Uh, you know, so, you know, please be sure that you do that because you never know when 
you know, when a day like that might happen again. Um, so, uh, and with that, we're, we're, we're grateful that you took the time to listen to us. Uh, before we go, you know, before I formally sign off again, Chloe at Chloe J Beresford, follow her on Twitter. She was outstanding, uh, in remembering David Astori with us. Uh, but, uh, please, uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. And most importantly, ciao Davide. Thank you.